minimalists. <laughs> All right, we're, we're here for our Postscript episode. We have two questions here. We're, we're, we are here with T.K. Coleman from Praxis and uh, also from the Office Hours podcast, also from tkcoleman.com. Freely asks us, do you have any tips to help people in their 30s and 40s find what they want to truly do with their time in order to earn a living? I, my guess is you're going to have a, an issue with the, the word truly in this sentence. Uh, I don't know. Do, do you have any, any, any tips for people? Know? So often th- this question comes because like we're 18 or I'm 22 years old and I'm like still seeking. But of course the seeking shouldn't stop when you're, you know, when you're 35 or you're 45 or you're 55. Mm-hmm. What are the practical tips for people in their 30s, 40s, or even in their 50s that are trying to figure out what to do with their time that aren't a living? Sure. Uh, I think this is as much of a problem for people in their 30s and 40s as people in their early 20s. Uh, It's just that by the time we get to our 30s and 40s, we get a little bit better at giving up or rationalizing the choices we've made or or just getting comfortable or doing things like saying, I'm just going to focus on on the kids and giving them the opportunity and I'll live out my dreams through them. But this is a common thing. So number one, don't feel guilty about it. Don't feel ashamed of it. Most people in their 30s and 40s don't know how to answer this question. Second thing I would say is start small. Um, Instead of putting pressure on yourself to find out what you feel called to do overnight, instead of putting pressure on yourself to figure out a way to make money, you know, in the next six months, just start by asking yourself, what are some things you're interested in? Do the Alan Watts exercise about, you know, what would you do if money were no object? Are there any problems that you enjoy solving? Are there any forms of value that you enjoy creating? Are there any people that you enjoy working with? Before you think about how to make money, think about what it is you want to do to create value. Uh, the second, I mean, the, th- the third thing is start experimenting with little ways that you can use that now, okay? Um, what, you know, one example I was thinking of when, when you guys were talking about the, uh, the brain surgeon example, one alternative to something like, I think I like brain surgery, uh, brain surgery. I'm just gonna major in brain it. Brain surgery is a totally different profession. <laughs> <laughs> brain surgery. <laughs> That's an amazing catch. I feel like I'm with Isaac now. <laughs> brain surgery versus brain surgery. But instead of saying, well, I think I'm gonna like this and uh, I'm gonna invest four years of my life into it, you can say, well, you know what? Why don't I do, um, uh, for the next couple of months, why don't I do a podcast series where I talk to people that work in and around that industry mm. and I just interview different people, okay? And I'm gonna make it a goal to take my time with this and maybe I'll do a total of five episodes. Love that. And yeah. you went out and interviewed five brain surgeons or, or assistants to brain surgeons. Yep. I, I know that- Or uh, students of brain surgery, yeah. yeah. Right, and, and and people that are all around there, people that are on the administrative side, cause you can quite often learn more mm. from the, the clerk at the front desk than yeah. you can, because they're gonna be honest about Maybe they love it there and they have a great office or maybe they're like, yeah, here are the problems or, or, or here are the, the, what I, here's what I see with the patients. And, mm. and I mean, obviously there's HIPAA concerns and all these other things, but, but that aside, realizing like people all of a sudden, if, if you, you take interest to them, I mean, pe- what people want more than anything else is I want to be appreciated, right? We mm-hmm. all want to be appreciated. Now that can manifest in different ways, but one way that we can be appreciated is we're paying attention to you. So if I'm sitting down with that clerk at the front desk and I'm like, hey, tell yeah. me about your experience with working here. 
They've never been interviewed before. Mm. I'm writing an assignment. I'm, I'm writing a, a five blog post series because I don't want to do a podcast or whatever. And by the way, starting a podcast is one of the easiest things in, in the world to do. You can start it with your iPhone now. Like yeah. it, it doesn't take anything too elaborate. Now, uh, eventually you can you can get a studio and all this other stuff. But what, for the first two years, we just had a little conference room that we set these microphones up in and, and we made it work, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't require all the accoutrements, right? And, and I think what you realize is like, some and next week we're actually uh, in two weeks we're talking about limitations and and quite often you you have whatever resources you have it's going to allow you to 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 learn more about that you're diving in and learning from others experience as opposed to having to go in and and experience eight 12 years of school and become a brain surgeon to realize you did that's not what you wanted to do but now now you feel really stuck because of the stunt the sunk costs are overwhelming yeah just finding different ways to dip your toe in is, is definitely going to help you uh yeah figure out what you do and don't like instead of yeah just diving into it the, the one thing um this question made me think of is i've got a mentoring i got a little mentoring side business tk and i have some students who they will they will say oh you know all i want to do is i want to do what you do i want to i want to like quit my corporate job and I want to figure out a way to make money by blogging and podcasting. And my first response usually is you, you probably don't want to do what I do. Uh, I have to, uh, you know, I just went on, uh, went on tour, uh, for six weeks, uh, or, or just a couple months ago <clears throat> in 2014, I had to give up a year of my time, uh, to, to go touring. Now, all of this is worth it for me, but someone who's got like a family of seven, um, th- they might not want to do it exactly how I, how I do it. And, but the, and then they're really shocked when you tell them, I don't make any money from podcasts because we don't do any sponsors. Right. <laughs> and our blog doesn't have any advertisers. So I don't make any money from blogging right. either. Those are platforms that help us communicate with other people. That's how we disseminate our free information, but that's not how we make money. Yeah, so so to the point is uh, by them dipping their toe into it, hiring me as a mentor, talking about what I do, they quickly find out that you know, the blog and the podcast is kind of like the, the ticket to the show. Right. It's, it certainly isn't like the way that we make, uh, th- that we are able to provide for ourselves. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll tell people too is like, if you want to blog, if you want to start a podcast, you don't have to quit your job to do that. And, and that, that, that is one of the biggest misconceptions, I think, with people who are especially in their 30s and 40s, because I know me approaching 30 in the corporate world, I put all this pressure on myself to leave this job that I absolutely hated to get, uh, to get into something that, that I absolutely loved and that that was going to be, um, the right thing for me to do the rest of my life. Now I did eventually take that leap and, and I got laid off and, and, uh, Josh and I, we went on a really small book tour and we did put everything into this one thing that we really, really loved. And that was interested in, and, and we were able to develop uh, and still developing a, a passion for this whole thing. Mm. But what I'll say is once I was able to take the living, the money aspect out of this equation, it totally changed my perspective on what I wanted to do. That first year that I got laid off on the corporate job, I had about uh, about $11,000 saved up. So it was about you know five to six months or five to seven months worth of bills that I had uh, saved up. In fact, when I changed apartments, I probably could have got by a little bit longer than seven months on 11,000 bucks in Dayton, Ohio. But my point is, is that uh, I, I, I was able to have a savings, have this safety net. And then that year, that first year after I got laid off, I mean, we made like 20,000 bucks, 21,000 bucks. I hadn't made, so between my savings and, and, and what we made that year, call it $30,000, $31,000. Mm-hmm. I traveled more that year than I had the, the previous years combined. 
And it wasn't because I had the financial means. It was because I took, I guess I, I did what I wanted to do. Uh, and I did not let, we, we, Josh and I did not let uh, money dictate what we were going to do. So that meant things like, we're going to go on this book tour. And we're not able to like really pay for any venues for people to meet up. But what we're going to do is we're going to call coffee shops and see if it's okay if we bring a crowd of people there. Maybe we can get a free venue. And then people would show up. That's great. And then that night, it's like, oh, shit, man. We really don't have the money to, to afford a hotel. So we're going to have to sleep in the car tonight. Or maybe there's a reader who came by and they were like, oh, hey, do you guys got a place to stay? Maybe you can stay at our place. But it was it was the... For, for so long, it was that, that money factor. How am I going to make a living out of doing something that I love to do, like as soon as I could take that money factor out of it, or at least at least reprioritize it, look at it in a different way, I was able to uh, dip my toe. I was able to experiment, and then you know eventually able to kind of dive in head first. Um, but but when we put pressure on ourselves to make a living out of something we love to do, like that is that's one of the worst pressures I've ever put myself under. Yeah, I, I think that, and TK, I, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on this, but. I think you don't want to make money the primary driver for doing what you do. However, we also kid ourselves when we act like it's not part of the equation. Right. And so we have to realize that we do have to prioritize money at some point because we all have to pay the bills, right? Um, However, when it becomes the primary driver for doing what we do, we start to sacrifice our values. We sacrifice our priorities. We set aside the things that we say are important to us that we want to be important to us because we've made, we talk about religion, we've made money, making money, earning the most amount of money possible a, we've made that a religion in a way instead of maybe reverse engineering and say okay how much money do i need to live a meaningful life because it's probably not the million dollar thing that you have the pie in the sky dream maybe it's thirty thousand dollars a year and maybe that means you need to move to a smaller city or maybe you need to move to a different market but but putting that somewhere on your priority list but realizing for me it's not the primary driver it's just part of what we're doing yeah, you know, um, I, I think I think one of the most often overlooked things about making money is that the people who make the most of it are usually exceptional at something. That doesn't mean they're exceptional exceptional people. In many ways, they have a whole bunch of flaws, right? But they're exceptional at one or two things. They like, in fact, in spite of the fact that we hate these people, they're so damn good at one or two things that we give them our money anyway, in spite of the fact that we don't like them because they're just that much better than everybody else. You're talking about and- LeBron James right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Look at you, you're saying LeBron James is so exceptional. It doesn't matter how many people hate him. Is that what he's saying? <laughs> I mean, even though he has a million flaws, which I would love to talk about for an hour, you know, he's exceptional at one thing, you know, being a baby. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, man, I'm from Chicago. I'm a Michael, I'm a Michael Jordan guy. I'm biased. I'm not yeah, fair. Well, well, yeah, I'm the Utah Jazz guy, so I'm not a big Jordan fan. I hear you, man. I understand. Um, okay, so people focus on the question, what can I do that's going to make me money? And they neglect the most important question is, what gives me the best shot at being exceptional, right? Because that's when I go beyond what's required and I create the most value. So you take something like accounting, I think the placement rate is something ridiculous like 95 to 99%, right? So if you wanna make money and you want security, you wanna focus on accounting. But if you aren't in love with that, if that doesn't fire you up and turn you on, then you're always gonna come in second, third, fourth, fifth place to the person who is a geek 
and stays awake at night thinking about accounting. Well, there are people like that. There are people like that. Just because you're not passionate about accounting. Uh, Our accountant is. Loves it. Yeah, Yeah. he's like, uh, I was talking the other day, I mean, he's in, in like, he looks forward to tax season. I mean, it's the strangest thing in the world to me. But there are other people who are passionate about horseback riding. I'm not passionate about that either. I can. It's weird. Like we can understand one. Like, oh yeah, that's like because you can romanticize the the horseback riding thing. You can sort of intellectualize it in a way. But the truth is, I'm not passionate about either one of those. But it doesn't yeah. mean someone else can't be. Yeah, and, and so the thing I do like about following your passion. It isn't that the universe is this arbitrarily magical place that just gives you what you want, but when you really believe in something, you tend to work harder at it. Mm. And, and and you tend to spend more time wrestling with the problems, you tend to be more creative, and you become more exceptional and you become more valuable. But in order to get there, you've gotta put the money thing on pause for a moment and say, okay, look, if I've been spending five years doing something that I hate, I, I can I can do it for another five months, right? Uh, and, and let me just spend five months getting myself into a playful space where I can take an honest, fresh look at the things I enjoy doing that I'm willing to do for free, right? Um, and then as I pour myself into those things, my creativity, the wheels will get turning and I'll be able to figure out ways to make money. If you want to get paid to do something, you have to do it like you're getting paid to do it before you get paid. Oh, so th- the reason I laugh at people who say things like, well, I don't laugh at them, I sound cruel, but the reason I, I laugh to myself when people say things like, oh, I wanna figure out a way to to write a blog or you know get paid for podcasting or blogging is that they're not blogging and podcasting now. Why would anyone ever take the risk on paying you to do something that you are not doing? I don't even know if you're good at it. How about blogging for free? Like show up today, instead of trying to figure out how to get paid for blogging, try to figure out how to blog. Yeah, no, no, one, no one's going to to um, draft LeBron James just because he's six nine or whatever, right? Yeah. They they, because they he wants to play basketball. They, they saw that they they saw a track record. By the way, he was playing basketball for free for a very long time, very long time. before, but before you, he he ever you know made it out of Akron and and then you know made it to Cleveland or wherever and and realized like you're going to be doing the same thing except. You're the LeBron James of something that you're going to be exceptional at, whether it's accounting, horseback riding, or basketball. There's going to be something. I remember when I first left the corporate world, you you can remember this, Ryan. I told people that I I was leaving, and they're like, which competitor are you going to? Take me with you. Yeah, he's saying, I was like, no, I'm just going to go write. Like, I'm going I'm to be a writer. That's why, I, and for me, writing fiction was the thing. Like, it was the the minimalist thing hadn't taken off or anything like that. So I, I was going to write fiction. I was going to work at a coffee shop two blocks from my house to pay for writing fiction until eventually maybe one day I'd make some money from that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the whole minimalism thing happened. It was a beautiful accident and we pivoted a little bit. But like, what I, what I realized is people asked that and then they said, well, you know, if... If anyone could just go be a writer, then everyone would go do it. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. There are people who make a living from writing. You realize this, right? <laughs> there is a template out there already. And so once you find that thing that you are potentially exceptional at, or at least you're curious about, you can find people who have followed that template, who have had a level of success that you want to follow. And then you can just say, okay, what is their recipe? And you can say, okay, I may not follow that same exact re- recipe, but a similar path is ideal for me. Yeah. Can I make two book recommendations for this? Movie? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one is uh, a book by Cal Newport called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Yeah. And two important concepts from that book is he talks about the importance of developing useful skills and also 
um, the importance of learning how to manufacture passion. Yeah. Not not treating passion as something that you discover, but something that you can actually create over time through this you know combination of developing useful skills, experimenting with reality, and so forth. Uh, the second book is well, by- for Real quick, and, and yeah. Cal Newport, for those of you who, are, since everyone listening to this part is a Patreon supporter, you can also listen to a conversation Ryan had with Cal Newport. We did an event in DC last year with Cal, and uh, we published that uh, podcast, uh, the DC episode, just uh, a few weeks ago. So you can go back and listen to that conversation with, with Cal Newport as well. Great guy. Awesome. And the second book would be The Last Safe Investment, by Michael Ellsberg. And in and, and this book, he talks about the importance of pouring your energy and your time and your resources into your own potential. And, and, and it gives a practical approach for how you can do that if you're someone that would love to invest in yourself and your, your ability to create value in the future, but you don't know where to get started. Beautiful. Yeah. I got one book recommendation. Now that we're giving out book recommendations, no. Uh, <laughs> Green eggs and ham. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Dr. Uh, this doctor, his name is Dr. Seuss? <laughs> My book is I Am a Writer. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I want to recommend Chris Gillibo's book, Side Hustle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that is, it's such a good book. Uh, just examples about people who are in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s. And, uh, and there are other ages in there also. But but I think it'll go good with uh, Freely's question because it talks about these folks who just started a little started doing something that they're interested in started cultivating that passion and then started to figure out how to make a little bit of money from it yeah and then you can decide whether or not it's going to be a full-time thing or not exactly maybe it's going to stay a side, side hustle and you can go back and listen to our podcast episode called side hustle with uh, chris gillibo we did an event with him in portland last year yeah i wonder how many books i can recommend that will be followed up by you saying go listen to episode 44 <laughs> well here's the funny thing we don't even do we don't even do like guests that often either like this That's is amazing. episode 131 yeah. um and it's just like we never accept pitches for guests or anything like that but like we reach out to people that like we're really interested in like I i'm like how can i become friends with tk coleman i know i can add value to <laughs> oh, his life i'll have him on our podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah and and, and uh, so it's just a ploy to become friends with people that i admire so tk i admire you and, and thank you for doing what you do brother thank you man i like to recommend a movie by tom hanks you can listen to episode 32 <laughs> for uh, the tom hanks interview that's right <laughs> on office hours that's funny that's great <laughs> all right uh last question here from chris chris says i find the field of education to be frustrating and broken do you have any advice for teachers considering leaving his or her profession so does uh, this guy does this strike you guys as like he needs to run from education or does it is there a fix here i always recommend not running from something i mean uh, unless you're running to something sure. I, th that's always the the so, thing because what happens is you run from one burning building to another and and that cycle and then all of a sudden that it becomes this this perpetual downward spiral and sometimes it's a really beautiful downward spiral because someone looks like they're actually doing something uh, but it's just a dying bird that is flying gorgeously in everlasting circles until they hit the ground. Well, the reason why I ask this is I think there's two approaches for Chris. Like he could find a way to make his current job work for his life. I mean, it, it's possible. Uh, he also could find something to run towards. Mm. But I, I guess I'm just interested because I think you and I are going to have two different approaches to this yeah well i mean my my uh former spouse she is an eighth grade teacher uh english teacher and she loves it and but she's sort of a a savant at teaching um she's like one of those people who is meant to be a teacher and she would be a teacher 
even if she wasn't in the traditional education system. She's one of those people who works well. I mean, she helped out with one of your sisters. Mm -hmm. And and, I mean, she's just one of those people who is a a mentor, a coach. Um, She's a, a... uh, a never-ending reader like she she just is she's good at, at helping people move incrementally in a particular direction and she happens to do well within the educational system although i think she would do fine outside of it as well so maybe the question to ask is hey chris would you do uh, if you're a teacher and you're good at teaching would you do better inside or outside of the system hmm. all right so you asked you know is this fixable i think that every problem can either be fixed or you can establish a relationship to the problem that makes the fixing of it unnecessary. Uh, I think about in Matrix when Morpheus is telling Neo about who he is and what he's capable of, Neo says, uh, are you saying I can dodge bullets? And Morpheus says, when you know who you are, you won't have to. I believe that every problem is an indictment against our current level of self-knowledge. And once we realize who we are and what we're capable of, we can either fix the problems in our lives or we arrive at a realization that those problems don't need fixing because we can transcend them, right? We can play the game of life at another level. So, so my assumption, no matter what the problem is, is either we can fix that thing or we can adjust our focal setting so that we see it as something that doesn't need fixing because we're able to create the results that we want independently of the presence of that obstacle. Mm. Um, that's the abstract, the, the particular, the nuts and bolts. I would say this, you don't need to make any immediate decisions about the place where you are, but there are things you can do right here, right now to use your teaching gifts outside of the system. You never have to accept the permission of the system in order to use your gifts to solve problems mm. for people. We live at a time where there are so many opportunities for people with information to take it straight to the masses and offer their consulting and teaching services without going through the gatekeepers. Um, look at, uh, for instance, so I, I have a, uh, one of our Praxis um, advisors, Austin Bachelor, he he makes his living creating courses on, shoot, is it Udemy? Udemy? How do you say it? U-D-E-M-Y? Udemy? Udemy? No. That's how I'd say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Udemy. Oh, yeah so I, I, I'll say Udemy. Yeah, you, you go to Udemy, for instance. This is an entire platform where anybody who's anybody can create a course on anything they want. It can be as horrible or as good as you want it to be. Uh You can make it available for free or you can set a price from $20, $200, whatever it may be. And people can sign up for the course voluntarily. You can market it and they rate the course and the popularity of it increases along with the ratings. Um, you, you even look at things like the master classes that we see commercials for on YouTube all the time. Um, there, you know, uh, I even think of uh, Thaddeus Russell, um, episode twenty-five. Is that no. uh, <laughs> uh, who uh, who is a um, uh, a historian? And he started, I believe it's Renegade University. Renegade University yeah, yeah, Renegade University, where, where where he makes things available outside the system. Uh, Steve Patterson's podcast is an example of how you can do philosophy and use your skills again outside of the system. So I would start with, what do you know as a teacher? What's your area of expertise? What are you passionate about teaching to people? 
You can make a podcast. You can make a, a video series. You can create tutorials. You can write blog posts. Mm -hmm. You can create a course on Udemy. And you don't have to have any customers. You don't have to have any permission. Put your content out there and get people excited and you about probably, what you're sharing. And you probably already have all the tools you need to at least get started in that direction. It doesn't require a giant investment up front uh, like it used to. You know, if you if you wanted to start uh, a radio show back in the day, well, then you had to be accepted by an authority and who owned you know Spectrum so that you could broadcast your thoughts and ideas to the world because podcasts didn't exist. Absolutely. Uh, and the same is true with you. There weren't there were no blogs you had to have permission from a newspaper to write for them yeah. otherwise you were printing up your own stuff and standing on a street corner and trying to hand the stuff out it's not like that now the tools are already there they're right there in front of you the question is how are you going to use those tools so that you can circumvent the the system that you're in right now yeah now i was going to suggest chris first take a look at his role and is there anything he can do right now in his role to make it different so when he says he's he's frustrated uh, with edu education and the system and, and that it's broken, <clears throat> is there anything in his power to fix? What I, what I mean by that is like when I think about uh, high school or, or college, when I think about teachers and professors that you know I've had experience with, some of them create a really awesome learning environment under the broken system, and some of them have a broken environment because of the broken system. But it's really I feel like. In a lot of in a lot of situations, up t it was up to the teacher to create the atmosphere for the students. So Chris very well may be in a situation where he's like, "Yeah, I really want to do X, Y, and Z," and the school board is very adamant that no, if I do X, Y, and Z, they're going to fire me. Mm. Then you know, in that situation, then yeah, Chris probably needs to find another uh, education role or another teaching role where he can do X, Y, and Z and still be fulfilled as a teacher. So to me, I would say, Chris, do work on fixing it first before you just run away from being a teacher and to your point if he is going to run away he better have somewhere to run towards yeah yeah and and setting these little side hustles up or entry into the non-traditional world is a great way to to not even run toward the other way but start stepping in a in an alternate direction to see if that's a path you want to take and if you are going to make it work within the traditional system uh, i i agree with you making that distinction ryan if it's broken can i fix it can I fix it? Because here's quite often the thing we do. We throw up our hands and say it's someone else's problem. Right. Well, maybe it's your problem to fix too. Because if you're not, if, if you're, not willing to fix it, then you become part of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. I think of the one teacher in all of our high school days. We're back in in Ohio, um, and and uh, Pete Holzenbush. Did you ever have Pete for any business classes? I didn't. I mean, I we, we grew up poor as fuck. No one showed me how to like. We we're on food stamps, government assistance. I don't know how to manage money. He showed me how to write up check. He showed me how to open a bank account. I had no idea. Like these were things you could even do. But I had a teacher who like took the time to to say, "Hey, here's how you write a check." Oh my god! Like what? It, this is like the thing that I still use today, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, whereas these other things, I I took three years of Spanish, didn't retain. Uh, I mean, I, I retain three words maybe, right? <laughs> and th that shows you uh, the, the brokenness of a system, by the mm -hmm. way. 1% of people uh, uh, say they, they, they greatly benefited from the uh, years of a foreign language they took while they were in high school or college. 1%. Where else do you go where there's a 99% failure rate and you're still willing to give them your money and time and attention and mm -hmm. cooperation? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a, that's, that's a good a, place to end it. That's a perfect place to end it. Thanks for uh, for being here, Patreon supporters. We appreciate y'all. TK, thank you for being a part of it.
Thank You're you awesome, guys. man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. See you guys. The Minimalists. <laughs>